0: Today's episode of Shootcast is brought to you by Modus Operandi Brewing. With COVID restrictions now easy, you can get up to the brewery, have a uh, couple of craft beers and enjoy lunch. It's a terrific spot up there at Marnevale. Make sure you check it out and thank you to Modus for your support of the show. Today on the podcast, we'll be joined by Ben Batcher, the Eastwood Head Coach. Really looking forward to having a chat with Ben about how things are shaping up over at TG Milner with the upcoming season not far away. And I'm really looking forward to having a chat with Ben about some of his playing time at the woods. Obviously he had a very illustrious career uh, for Eastwood over the years with some great success. So looking forward to some of those stories. So let's jump straight into this one. Thanks for tuning in. This is Shootcast. Welcome to episode eight of Shootcast. Joining me online is Eastwood Head Coach, Ben Batcher. Ben, thanks for jumping on. No problem at all. Excited to be on. Mate, more great news today with the competition now being announced formally by the Shoot Shield that we're underway on the 8th of July. Must have been exciting to hear that.
1: Yeah, mate. It was really good. I think I got the, the text message from the GM at about, must have been after training, about 9.30 last night and uh, I passed it on to the boys straight away and there was a flood of messages. So yeah, it's really exciting. Obviously exciting for the club, exciting for... Sydney club rugby and everything. So I think there's a lot of a lot of happy people out there today.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. There was obviously um, a previous date around the 25th of July. It's been brought forward a little bit. Has that uh, thrown things out at all? <laughs>
1: yeah. To be honest, mate, I did go into a <laughs> panic last night. I've gone, here's yeah. my training program, my squad. Have I got everything in line? I need to do more structure. I need to do this. Um, but look, at the end of the day, we're getting rugby a little bit earlier, so I think the greater good wins out there. So, you know, and we're all in the same boat as well, sort of thing. So, uh, look, if, if it's a week early, I'm, I'm happy with that. We just have to ramp up training probably a little bit quicker.
0: Yeah, I think so. I was a little bit worried with you, coaches. You know, if you get for fraud, fraud a week, I was probably going to lose this podcast. But thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for sticking with me, mate. Now, coming into uh, 2020, obviously first year at 2019 as head coach. Um, coming off a, a pretty good year, how was the squad sort of looking uh, coming into this season before everything went sort of south? Yeah, mate, To be
1: honest, our preparations were really good. We sort of um, had had a good. We had a high turnover of players. To be honest, we had about eight guys, well, on no, those, about six guys retired, and about three or four guys get professional deals. So. We had a really high turnover of players, which obviously creates a bit of anxiousness as a coach. Mm. You lack that continuity, but we had a really good preseason. We were lucky enough to go over to Perth and play the Western Force, and that was that was probably the biggest blessing we've had. Got a you know the guys together. You get away as you know, you get away from yeah. a couple of days with the footy guys. It's uh, you know, it's it's more the the bonding and all that. It's less so the game, even though that was good for us. It was just being together, you know, traveling together, riding together, having a few beers together. That was uh, really good and especially with all the new faces. I think that helps, uh, helps gel Jella team. So, mate, I was really happy. We were, you know, the wind was in our sails. We are going head steam into the year and then, bang, about March 20 or something, March 23, I think it all,
0: it all got shut down. So much like yeah. everyone else, we, mate, we were looking good. We hadn't lost the game. <laughs> Uh, absolutely so will some players now you know not be available that maybe were coming into the squad or, or, or will some players now be available now that sort of uh, some some players obviously had head home from abroad
1: yeah mate that's right we we did recruit a few guys from overseas and that's looking probably more likely that they won't return just and you, you can't blame the player either like you know it was, it was a tough time for them and a lot of them have headed home now and you know, the I ask them, you know, obviously I'm begging them to come back, but then they sort of go, well, you know, what happens if it comes, it happens again? I'll have to keep going back and forth, and they might have resecured their jo- their old job and stuff like that. So, mate, we've to be honest, we've probably lost about three or four players due to this COVID and you know the the inter, you know, the travel restrictions and that kind of thing. Uh, but at the same time, I've probably been lucky and picked up one or two on the reverse way. So, you know, it's it's nearly come out even. We're probably just at a minus one or two players as a result of this whole thing.
0: Yeah, and obviously uh, are you aiming to get, you know, one, maybe two trials in before start start date, or maybe just the one now that's so so soon? I think we're still aiming
1: for two. Uh, yep. the godfather of Eastwood John Menenti sort of looks after that side and uh, he um, me and him have been planning working on two trials. I guess if if you know if it's the case is one, the case is one. But we're working yeah. on two and you know, we're just sort of like we've been doing for the last three months, mate, we'll just react as the situation unfolds.
0: Yeah, it's going to be obviously a very different shoot shield and we're not going to get the uh, sort of 18-round comp or the full home and away type season. It's obviously a shortened comp. So do you think the mentality is that you, you want to be getting hitting round one with as close to your perceived uh, strongest side as possible? I mean, obviously cohesion is going to be um, a little bit more difficult with less games this year, but uh, I guess you got to have uh, the fact that you got to get the wins up early if, you, if you're going to make the semis. So it's it's an interesting one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. You probably don't have the sort of... You can't sort of roll into the season, I guess. Yeah. That's sort of what a lot of coaches look to do, and you build over the first two months. You're coming really good for the last two, and then the last month you're at your peak, where you can't yeah. do it this year. You are probably you're missing the first two months. You're not rolling in. You you want to be pretty good from the start, and you want to be really good at the end, sort of thing. So mm. um, it sort of takes you. You probably were involved in it as well. It takes you back to the old uh, – we used to have the split comp with the shoot shield and the two yeah. cup. So yeah. yeah. I guess, I guess I'm a little bit lucky in the sense I've sort of been through that and I know what a sort of 10-round season is, and this isn't too dissimilar to that. So at least I've got a little bit of benchmark to work with.
0: Yeah, Eastwood have, you know, um, maybe not last year or, or, or the year before he's had quite strong regular season, but have been traditionally sort of slower starters. I maybe put that down to the fact he always got a big pack, but they always seem to have come good at the right time of the season. Has there always been a sort of somewhat of a little bit of a mentality around that with the marathon rather than the sprint type thing? Yeah, I
1: definitely think so. I'm just speaking to um, a lot of other sort of coaches and all that. Like I I think a lot of other – um, clubs split their squads quite early where we sort of have a, a fairly large club focus and we train one, twos, threes, and fours together. So all the guys intermingled right up to sort of February, March. So we're a little bit late with our structures and stuff like that. So I guess that that could be one reason. And your other reason is 100 percent right as well. We are a bigger team um, yeah. and probably slightly not as good on the on the fitness side of things. So we take a little bit of time to warm into the season as well. So and you know maybe and I guess you're going to give credit to the past coach and the staff as well, and the fact that maybe they are sort of doing that whole peaking for performance and, yeah. and to be at our best, you know, in the finals rather than sort of round 12 or 13. So a yeah. combination of factors, I think.
0: Looking at 2019 as your first season at the helm of, as head coach, you obviously finished the regular season in second spot, so had a, had a really good regular season, 12 wins, five losses. You, you uh, rolled East after they rolled you in the, in the final round of the comp, and then... You probably had one of those real days to forget uh, out at North Sydney Oval against the Rats. Oh man, I, I still haven't watched that game. I still don't yeah. like people
1: bringing it up. So thanks for that. But yeah, sorry, bud. <laughs> we, uh, that was, you know, that'd be probably almost our worst performance of the of the year. Credit to Ringer, they, um, they yeah. sort of style for us with their sort of style. You know, they're a suffocating team, mm. um, but we went right away from the game plan. I knew, <laughs> I knew what the game plan was, and the boys knew yeah. it. Unfortunately, we didn't we didn't execute it. And I think we gifted them two or three tries. Um, And, you know, we lost our skipper in the first 30 minutes. Everything went wrong that day. And mate unfortunately that's football and if you if you don't play your best in finals you are not going to be winning finals games and we learned that the hard way unfortunately last year but otherwise mate yeah it was a really good year and you mentioned the the semi-final victory against the east that was probably the most pleasing they they did knock us by 50 points the week before in an absolute massacre in the final round and then yeah bounce back the the next week the I was, I was really proud of the boys uh, that day and I know you know some might say we played our grand final that week. I, I don't see it that way. We just played really good and just we couldn't back it up the next week.
0: Where's we, sort of the, the mentality of the club at the moment? Obviously, coming through a period which you, you were heavily involved in and we'll, and we'll touch on of, of great success. Um, obviously, last time made a grand final appearance was 2015, obviously very close last year. But probably given the the amazing success you'd had sort of in that 2010 era, now looking for, for a bit more of that success? Yeah, definitely. Like... Um, you know, I think we've obviously been
1: a fairly successful club the last 20 years. And in my opinion, probably opinion of a few others as well, we probably rested on our laurels between, you know, 16, 17, 18. And the fact that we did play in three grand finals in a row, maybe, you know, players and staff included just thought that sort of happens. And, I think you know we worked out we learned again the hard way that it is it doesn't just happen for you you know success is you got to work hard for your success and I think you know we might have only dropped off you know five percent um in terms of like effort areas in our our homework and stuff like that but that five percent was the difference between finishing you know first or second and playing in a grand final and finishing you know fourth fifth or sixth which we did in you know 17 uh, 16 17 18 so Mm -hmm. um I think now you know I sort of made that really clear to the boys that you know whatever we've done in the past doesn't doesn't make a difference is this is a totally new squad we're going to set our own goals and you know and that we all agreed our, our goals to a grand final appearance so i made i hope the hunger's there they definitely told me the hunger's there the hunger's there from me because i hate losing so um mm. you know i think we, we should uh, be able to you know hopefully return back to and be a successful team again
0: yeah, of course. And looking at the retention rate from last season, you're saying there's been quite a reasonable level of turnover. I mean, is that mainly sort of across the park or forward specific or backs or is it just a, a bit of a combination, as you say?
1: Uh, it's a bit of a combination, I guess. You know, obviously last year, if I knew we had a big and slightly older pack, which has its positives and negatives, we were able to grind out some game. But then mm. I know it pains me to say that Rob Taylor coached me in I think round 15 against Sydney Uni. They just hung with us. For seventy minutes, and then he knew at the end our big boys would be tired, and then he just ran his little his little outside backs all through the middle of us. So Um, you know, having having a big team has its positives and negatives, and we were an aging team yet there. Retirement of you looking in the forward pack: James Neal, Reese Allen. Tavita Pukala, that that's Dean Dumbos, that's four out of the guys who started in that semi final. That's quite a bit. You got Mixon yeah. retired as well, and nine Taylor Adam mm. gone to Toronto, Foe gone to the Western Force. It's um, mm. it's a fair turnover of players, but it's mainly due to either professional gigs or um, just age, mate. And it, you know, it does happen to a team, and yeah. you know it's time for a bit of rejuvenation, get a bit of young blood in there.
0: Yeah, a couple of those um, standout performers, I thought, last year and and, and, and even earlier than that with Moorley um, Ilfie and uh, Michael Isley, a couple of players have really caught the eye. of those guys back on deck next season?
1: Yeah, they definitely, they they both are and they're both super talents um, I expect them to sort of push for higher honours. Michael's a really sort of, um, mate, he's almost the fittest and fastest in that club and he's a number six, yeah. so he's, he's an incredible athlete and once he sort of gets the nuances of the game, he'll, he'll be really good and... Mate and Noka, Noxie Noxy as he's known as he's, he my been in, he was the best twelve in the comp and he didn't even get a look in at the NRC so yeah he's, he's made his 115 kilos which just don't and he, and he runs hard and they just don't grow on trees and at a time in Australian rugby where everyone seems to be the same sort of player he's he's a you know a bit of an X factor player that you know you think could do well but the powers to be don't think so at the moment
0: yeah no I hear you, I hear you. Mate, just jumping back um obviously you got a very strong history at Eastwood, but going back even earlier than that you you were born not far away from Milner at kenthurst and 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 just to tell us a little bit about your your upbring and, and how you found yourself um over at the woods um yeah, so
1: I grew up in Kenthurst down on uh five acres, which was um absolutely amazing for a kid that loves sport and all that we you know me and my brother would create and my dad would create our own golf course, I had football post up, we created our own cricket pitch. Yeah. Uh, it was um, obviously a really active upbringing. Having a younger brother, three years younger, you're always just sort of playing sport, and the old man will always be playing with us and everything. And then um, I uh, went to the King School where my old man went there as well, and that, mate, that was my first step into rugby. Yeah, and then,
0: you're a league so, guy before that, weren't you? Not I wasn't where. Sorry, you're a league guy before that, weren't you? Not? No, rugby boy, mate. Oh yeah, I played soccer. So I. Oh okay. Yeah, Kentos bush boys. I thought I read somewhere you're a big Balmain Tigers. Fan. Oh,
1: mate, huge tiger! Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've got a sort of funny sporting thing, mate. I'm uh, probably my first passion was cricket, and yeah. then rugby league with the Tigers, and yeah. then sort of rugby was third, I guess, sort of came in, and then it slowly sort of changed as I got older and older. I went to Kings. I was yeah. in a league there, so I played rugby. Yeah. And, um. Then cricket was still there, and I, I sort of played in the first in cricket and rugby, and then mm-hmm. there was sort of uh, rugby. That sort of. Was a little bit more uh, prominent. and That's what I decided to keep up and playing. And you know, mate, I played juniors all with uh, you know Benny Robbo, the Wallaby prop, Dean Mum, and all that. So we had a really good Cam Shepherd. We had a really good sort of under tens team in uh, Beecroft, which uh, I reckon, uh, funnily enough, yeah, quite a few went on to
0: higher on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that. That's awesome. And you, you had some some pretty memorable years at Kings. You are in the first fifteen from age fifteen, were you? Not. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was. Yeah.
1: Funnily enough, someone rang me about that the other day. I see. I can't seem to escape the King School some 30, 20 years later. But, uh, yeah, I was just – I think at the time they lacked a the goal kicker and I was, um, yeah. I was in the 15 A's and they just said, well, we'll come on this Queensland tour. And, uh, yeah, I went there, kicked a few goals and I just get the right – I ride the coattails of a, of a very good team, a couple of premiership winning teams. So was, was that 99 or 2000? uh the 2002 uh sorry 2000 99 and 2000 yeah they were the the premiership winning team yeah
0: i was at the game at 2000 with my family actually against joeys at joeys oh yeah that's obviously a fun one for me (laughs) fun one for you i was um i was i was i wasn't actually at the score at that stage i went to joeys in 2001 but i remember watching and i think joeys up 24 nil and then you scored a hat trick maybe four and then kicked all the goals and Won the comp. Well, see, that's the way I like to tell it, but reality—I yeah. did, I did, I did score four
1: tries, but I kicked one from seven that day. Oh, okay.
0: so we could have,
1: uh, we could have won by a hell of a lot more if I'd actually had the kicking boots on. But yeah, yeah. it was an incredible game. I think there might have been about fifteen thousand out there. That's it was on, amazing. It was on yeah, yeah. TV we We're down to four yeah. 0 and the yeah. quality of players around there, like, you're talking about Will Caldwell, James Hilgendorf, there was, I think there was about...
0: Yeah. Eight, Josh Staniforth was a really good player for Joey's that year, the Yeah, five he eight. was the 5'8", yeah. Yeah, he sort of died yeah. away. I don't know yeah. where his career went after that. He was one of those, yeah, those schoolboys that
1: you just think is going to kick on and then he just sort of disappeared off, I don't know, where he went. But, yeah, it was... My good memories of the King School and all the rugby there. That the, Obviously, you know yourself, the GPS rugby, it's a hell of a competition. I know yeah. it's, um, you know, some people try to... You know, downplay it a little bit but when you're involved in it mate it's a great theatre it's a great spectacle and it's good rugby so I have great memories.
0: Yeah awesome and then and then straight into Eastwood pretty much and from an Eastwood perspective the rest of history I know you've had um, plenty of opportunities outside of the club but you got in there straight into Colts and and worked your way into grade pretty quickly. Yeah I did the did the two years
1: in Colts so first year and then second year I was captain of Colts and then I uh, came up to grade with Chris Hickey, and he uh, he taught me some actually really good lessons. Chris Hickey, he um, he I was sort of a bit of I guess a rock star cult coming up. I'd played in new so I was nineteen a few things, and he just shoved me in third grade straight away. Straight away, and I thought, what the hell's going on here? I thought I was a yeah. first grade, second grade player, but um, it was a probably the best thing that anyone's ever done for me in terms of my football career. Trying yeah. to teach me the lesson of working hard and, you know, nothing's given to you. And, you know, I think I played uh, six games in threes, a couple of games in twos, and then just got lucky. I remember the, the captain and fullback, Robbie Miller, broke his jaw. Then James Hilgendorf went to fullback. He went to Taranaki. And then I got mm. my chance, sort of thing. So I had a couple, bit of luck and um, some good form. And I finally got a first grade crack.
0: Yeah, as a coach now, do you look at that with you know you obviously got players and good young players that, that want to be in first grade straight away, but I guess from your own reflections, you can, you can enlighten these guys as to, pro, as, to as to that sort of a process. Yeah, it's mate. That's a that's a really difficult one I find,
1: especially. I don't know if it's with modern players and all that and just how high they up are as juniors or because they're in a, an academy or something like that, they sort of expect to be in the first grade where reality is you, if you're at a strong club, there's a good chance there's a 26, 27-year-old who's played 100 sort of first grade games who's you know yeah. got more experience and could be a – could be a better player than you, so it is. Yeah. I I do look back at my time and think that was a pretty good lesson. Obviously, a bit of, different for each player, mate. There there is, you know, you look at Damien Fitzpatrick who recently retired. He skipped Colts, went to grade. Obviously, worked yeah. pretty good for him as well. So, yeah, one of those sort of horses for courses thing. But you know, no one's entitled to a, a first grade jersey. Everyone's got to earn that, whether it's through your training or you know through third grade or you know through you know trial form and that. Everyone's got to earn that jersey somehow.
0: Yeah, I agree, mate. I, I was uh, more of a second grader, but sometimes get shafted in a third grader start of the year, and you just put a mental uh, mental note down for about round six. My injury and form, you hopefully in the grade that you want to be in. It's never first grade, but
1: that's yeah, all relative. It's all relative, right? Yeah, and you're right. it does change throughout the year. Last year, we had third graders playing first grade all the time, and I always tell the boys the example of um, Mick Snowden, my favorite example, the Eastwood halfback, mate. He uh, he started off in fourth grade. So I think he might have done even, you know, 10 games in fourth grade, definitely one or two seasons in third grade, season in second grade, got his chance in first grade, ended up playing at three super rugby clubs. Like sometimes you just have to bide your time and, and, you know, put the runs on the board. So, you know, it's it's an interesting one. It's a good question that and, yeah, I don't have the answer.
0: No, I, I mean, I played fourth grade with Kate and Neville. And, you know, he's it was close yeah. to wallaby gig now with the Brumbies. And you're very right. It's amazing, you know, if you put your mind to it, you, you, you can rise pretty quickly. When you came into Eastwood at that young age as a great player and finally cracked first grade, you know, it, it was a club um, – until that point, probably hadn't had amazing success, but they started winning probably just about the time that you started coming in. How was the sort of the feeling as a club then? Because I know that, you know, obviously been around since 1947, but the first premiership didn't come until 99, and obviously there was a couple of runs in the early 2000s and then yourself heavily involved in other runs. But um, how was Eastwood at that period? Uh, Eastwood was very good
1: during that. When I, when I came in, I think that just... We, might have, I came into grade in two thousand and four. In two thousand and three, they just yeah. won. Chrisicky was, you know, I still think one of the best coaches I've ever had at, at any level. And he, mm-hmm. just the system he had place at Eastwood was, um, you know, it sort of it, it felt like we had success set up. If you know what I mean, it just felt yeah. like if we did all the right things, he was good to guide us to victory. And then you had guys like. Tim Donnelly and Scott Father there. You just felt like that that kind of cattle around. They'd been around for a couple of years as well. It wasn't work like they were yeah. sort of imported or blow-ins or anything. They were they were sort of eastward men. Yeah. Uh, it, just, it just felt like a, a really good and it was, mate. It was just a great place. Probably 2004 was my favorite season. There was um uh, probably because you're young as well and you're sort of enjoying yourself a little bit more off the field and all that as well. But
0: yeah, yeah, yeah
1: we we're having success, we we're enjoying, we we're having a lot of fun at the same time. It just felt like it was a place you wanted to be. And if mm. you generally want to be in a place, you're probably pretty successful as well. So I was lucky enough to come in sort of just at the back end or well, sort of in the middle sort of
0: back end of that really successful era. And, yeah, yeah it was just a good place to be. That was a pretty much the Scott Favor, Tim Donnelly type era, correct? That that sort of early 2000s. Yeah. I remember watching um, – Donnelly just carve us up many games. He was before before Hugh Perry. He was probably Mister Shoot Shield for that twenty two thousand spirit. He was just dominant, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, he was. He was a great player T D and he's still he's still up at the club. He's he's on as a skills coach, kicking coach, and he he still runs the water for us on Saturdays. He's, he's Eastwood through and through, mate. He grew up. Stone's throw away from me. So, a really good guy, really good uh, rugby knowledge and everything. And yeah, he was he was very dominant in that period. Oh, we always talk about it. if he just had another ten inches, he probably would have played or well, five inches actually. He would have played uh, you know, hundred Super Rugby games. But he was just sort of pigeonholed as being a little bit too small. I think.
0: Yeah so, so did that sort of group sort of lay the foundation with what was to come um, with some of the success you've had obviously you're a part of three premierships 2011 2014 and 2015 but obviously the club's culture probably hadn't changed a great deal since you know since those great foundations.
1: Yeah exactly mate they, those guys paid the way and their their hard work um, sort of enabled us to be successful I, I definitely agree with that and you, you got to remember Hugh Perrett was sort of at that back end with sort of Favour uh, and Donnelly and all that. And then you had myself. Mm-hmm. Well, we were sort of able to carry that over to the next generation, which which, which was really important. Then you started to see the development of the new guys sort of in 2008 and nine, the Lockie McCaffreys, the Damien Fitzpatricks, the Tim Bennett, yep. These guys were 18, 19, 20. And they were just getting sort of, you know, indoctrinated into the Eastwood way. Sure. um, Which made it um, a bit of an easier transition for us sort of thing. So, yeah, but those guys did all the hard work. And I guess, yeah, we sort of get to reap the benefits.
0: Yeah, without giving away uh any secrets. I'm sure there's no no real secrets, but what is the Eastwood way? I know it's obviously a big family vibe, but from the outside looking in, obviously um, given the success everyone's tried to sort of work it out because you know, obviously the uni models, you know, quite different to the rest of the competition. You look at the clubs that have had such success, and Eastwood's one of those clubs. I guess from a from a club like, you know, myself involved at Manly, you, you try and work out what that what that magic formula is, but um yeah. What are your sort of reflections on how would you sum up as Eastwood as a club, as a rugby club? Yeah, it's a good one. I, I could ask this quite a bit, like what, what's the culture at Eastwood? And yeah. um, again,
1: like you said, it's pretty hard to explain. It's just, I think it's just a, a bunch of sort of hardworking guys that turn up, they want to enjoy their football, but they yeah. willing to work hard as well. Now, you know, most clubs will probably say that as well. So it's not like, it's not exactly like that's a magic pill or anything, but I think the fact that we do have quite a large number of guys that have grown up together, that helps a lot. You look at any of the eras that sort of the successful eras that come through, a lot of those guys are sort of best friends and everything, which is, you know, if I look at 2014-50, like, you know, Jed Gillespie, Jared Barry, Jai Ayub, they're all, you yeah. know, me and Huey, they're all sort of best mates. You go to those earlier ones as well, you know, the Tim Dollies, the Scott Fires, they're all really good mates with each other. So that sort of helps you in the fact that, You're almost, you know, even when you're hanging out as friends, you're talking football a little bit, or you're reflecting on football, or you might just go to the park and do some extra kicking or something, just because he's he's, you know, one of your good mates as well. So, yeah, yeah. If I was going to describe, mate, they're just just, we're just a close knit group, and I think the best the best way to sort of this is what I always tell recruits as well. Like, if you want to see what our culture is like, just go look at other squads and tell me how many Eastwood players are at other clubs. Mm. And the answer to that is, mate, there's not many guys that once they come to Eastwood, they don't really leave. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that says about our culture. At the end of the day, I can spin it any way I, you know, especially to a recruit. I can, you know, tell them how great Eastwood is, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But they've got to see it for themselves. And I think that's how they see it is by saying, well, yeah, there isn't any other Eastwood guys at other clubs. I guess, you know, rarely. I know you guys stole Willie Brown there at one stage. Um, <laughs> he went to a back. few clubs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah a few, so I guess he doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but exactly. yeah, that's the, that's the, I think that shows that we have a good culture there. And, wide yeah. um, you know they, they turn up to work hard they enjoy themselves but they turn up to work hard
0: yeah and look i think culture's you know different that's, that's ever present to to sort of the winning dna and if you look at that period there where you did win those sort of three titles that you're in, heavily involved in and um you probably look like you say you, you could basically name that eastward side year in year out and, and, that, and that building of cohesion i mean by 2015, and obviously you know manly was starting to rival you guys in 2014 2015 as one of the better sides, but you probably just had that edge because of the experience and, and having done it before and and obviously by sort of 2015 you'd probably reached a peak and maybe not in your even in your form physical shape, but you were still able to just get it done maybe because of that that nucleus
1: yeah, I totally agree we were, actually if you look at it, we we're pretty lucky during those years as well in terms of we didn't get many major injuries and that and I think a lot mm. of people don't understand how much luck you need to win a shoot shield, Um, Mm. you know, it's – you can go through with you know using less than twenty five people in a season. You're doing an amazing, amazing job, you know, and yeah. you have a fair bit of luck. So you're right, and it's probably the fact that we had that stable team from you know two thousand and pretty much you know eleven to fifteen. It probably gave us over like a team like you, like Manly. It probably gave us maybe a one two percent edge. But in mm. a grand final, you know that's that's all you need is one or two percent, and it probably showed when we won that one by three points. That's just you know it's a flip of the coin, really, isn't it? So yeah,
0: that was just there was that one two. percent Better and no manly fan was too begrudged with that. It was just a better side, but it was only only felt like that one percent. But it was but it was enough, and I think the experience of having done it was um, oh, definitely really no, evident.
1: All it was, yeah. We we sort of even the, in that two thousand fifteen, I think the semi final, we were down 21 nil against South in the semi final at That's so right just sort yeah. of we just sort of knew you sort of because you've had a fair bit of success, you can you sort of your mind ticks back. Okay, we were successful doing that. Let's just do that again. Yeah. Other clubs might not have had that success in the past, so it helps but it made it eventually fades like with everything it eventually fades and we sort of it sort of faded sort of 17 18 and now you got to sort of somehow try to refine it <laughs>
0: Well that's that's it do you, you sort of I think you are you looking for that nucleus again whether it's you know you got to look at stability recruitment's a big part of um you know the shoot shield in any club but I guess you want to be careful that you you're not over recruiting because it's not going to you know keep keep you sustainable year on year you got to find that sort of 10 11 guys that are going to be there for the next few years to try and build something correct
1: Yeah that's definitely right and and this year obviously you know, I, I, I'm certainly not a rebuild year. I don't like the word rebuild because I feel yeah. like a bit of an excuse, but we have gone out and sort of, you know, recruit a bit of younger talent so we can have a bit of long-term planning sort of thing. Mm. Uh, and, you know, despite not having much cult success, we do have a couple of young cult guys coming up like Charlie Cale, who's a sort of very good back row. I played New York City, so I was 19, and Lockie Shelley, who's in the, the academy. So we do have a sprinkling. We don't have, um, you know, unfortunately – we we got our Colts program, and I think all at least would admit we got that a little bit wrong in the fact that everyone sort of moved with the times and they put more into our Colts. Where unfortunately we probably missed the boat, and now we're not performing that well in Colts. But we're we're rejuvenating that sector of the club now and putting a lot more focus on the Colts program. So hopefully we'll be able to get that you know that filter system going again from Colts to grade sort of thing. But mate, obviously Uni have done that the best, haven't they? They've mastered it, and yeah, it's a tough one because. I look at the other clubs that are trying to do it as well, um, you know, heavily invest in their cults like the Gordons, the Randwick, obviously the one most recent over the last five years. Sure. Uh, hasn't translated into success yet in first grade. So it's not a, you know, just investing in your cults doesn't guarantee your success. So there's got to be, you've got to get the transition right. So it, it's a tough one to sort of nail down.
0: You obviously had a taste of super rugby throughout your career. How, how were those experiences, the Waratahs and the Brumbies? Yeah, it was interesting, mate. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very proud of it sort of thing. But at the same yeah. time, I probably
1: uh, – I certainly – I wasted I wasted a little bit of the opportunity as well. I was I was signed to the Brumbies as a, as a 20-year-old off the back of a good shoot shield season. And I went down there and I just – I didn't know what it took to be a, a good super rugby player. I was just um, – everything sort of came to me a little bit too easy to get there. And then I sort of didn't um, – I didn't train hard enough, didn't look after my diet, didn't do the extras – and mate, I just got—I got spat out the other end, and then yeah, <laughs> right. yeah mate. Just that's—that's that's what happens if you don't put in. You, do, you don't—you don't get the rewards, unfortunately. And then I, I sort of last year of my contract there, I broke my leg. I was out for eighteen months. Went to New Zealand, had a really good ITM Cup. Then got signed to the Waratahs, and um, just uh, again, probably you know, didn't didn't work hard enough. Then I, second year of the contract, had a shoulder reconstruction, so I was spat out again. So. It was um the the Super Rugby experience. was you know if I had my time over again, I'd be I'd be a lot more committed and you know, <laughs> and uh, I'd give it a better shot. But at the same time, still proud of it. And uh, Absolutely. The, the, the ironic thing is, mate, I was a, probably a better player when I was out of Super Rugby. Sort of my last sort of yeah when I was sort of in uh, 2011 to 2013, sort of 14, when I was sort of 25, 26, 27. But yep. by that stage, you know, sort of you know you've had two cracks. Your time's done. onto the next kid. Mm. Uh, it, it's a funny one And I think that happens To a lot of players now You get you get a shot When you're young And then If you don't quite make it They sort of spit you out Where in reality You know Most players don't peak Till they're 25, 26 And it's probably it's. I, I actually personally Think it's a problem With Australian rugby And probably shows With our lack of success
0: yeah, what are you sort of sort of views on sort of where sort of um, professional rugby is at the moment? Obviously, it's right in the doldrums now because of the, the pandemic, but um, there's been a real disconnect, hasn't there, between sort of um, the grassroots sort of our space to to the professional game over the last sort of well, you probably say longer than five years probably 10 plus but uh, more more so intensely the last few years where it's just just not there is it
1: yeah as a rugby man it's just it, as a rugby man it's just disappointing isn't it you just yeah. you gotta look at it and just go jesus what happened to our game so i know mm. i know there's no silver bullet to fix it and you know i certainly don't have the answers as well but yeah I'm definitely um i'm definitely disappointed where australian rugby is but then you look at on the flip side of it, really proud of where club rugby is in Sydney and the way everyone's sort of come together there, and we've sort of create this create this little beast, haven't we? Where yeah, we've got a real sort of cult following behind it now. Mm. You know, people want the TV rights for it. People want to get involved with Shoot Shield Rugby, so. It's it's funny. I think it all pretty much started with that. I think it was a top down philosophy from Australian rugby, wasn't it? They're going to invest in the top and hope it trickles down. Where yeah, in reality, you know, you know, you build a you got to build a house on solid foundations, and we forgot about that solid foundation. That from mate, that's without any sort of you know, I don't have any qualifications, but from the outside looking in, that's what I would have thought we should have invested, sort of at the grassroots level and let it sort of rise up like you know, it's the traditional way. I think. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Sure, Pappy's not there whispering to you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pappy'd be busy talking about it on his radio show right now. uh, He's back in the doors of ARU. There's, There's only two places where Pappy is right now, so... But look, yeah, Papi's, yeah, people see him as controversial, but at least, at least he's passionate. He's putting, he's uh, you know, he's, he's throwing at least the ideas out to make us better. They, they might not be all right, but at least he's sort of trying to fix the problem. And yeah, 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 we, yeah, you've got to listen to them. Even if there's, you know, 10 ideas, you know, one of them could be the, the magic thing that we need to. Just help us a little bit, sort of thing, because, like you said, we're not in a great place
0: right now. And yeah, mate, I totally agree. And I, I you know, Brett's comments have, have always resonated really well with the grassroots mentality, and it needs urgent addressing. And you know, like you said, though, where the answers are coming from will just be, yeah, we'll just have to have to wait and see. Talking of of um, people like Brett, and obviously you mentioned Chris Hickey, but obviously. John Menenti, Eastwood seems to have had a real strong visibility of strong leaders uh, at the club, both on and off the field, and, and Hugh Perrett. Is, do you put that down a big part of the success? Uh, definitely huge part of it. I don't know if it's
1: been through um, you know, good luck or great recruitment, but just the, the people behind the scenes certainly help a lot. When I mentioned him before, when I came through, Chris Yickey, absolutely excellent as a coach. Um, after Chris was Brian Melrose. Brian Melrose, one of the, he, you know, as we both know, he's a crazy fella, but he's a brilliant coach. Yeah. Um, and then after Brian, we had John Menensian. so there's, you know, say like, say so there's ten years there of three really really good coaches. So we're extremely mm-hmm. lucky to um, have had those guys and sort of nurture our success. And then behind the scenes, it's been Robert Frost for the last ten years, who, um, you know, he does he he does everything and doesn't doesn't you know. Does, doesn't whinge or complain he just gets the job done for us they they make personally they make my job so much easier so john now sort of head of rugby operations. so he looks after a lot of the off-field stuff um putting together and then you know rob looks after the, the financial side of the club making sure it's viable and everything so i can just purely focus on football so i think yeah it's a combination of we've had you know either good luck with coaches or, or great recruitment from um you know our board as well you gotta you gotta say the board's done a pretty good job they they Appoint the coaches, and they've had pretty yep. really good ones.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A couple of great servants there that, that you've mentioned. There's obviously um, been a bit of a changing of the guard, somewhat at Eastwood, with regards to potentially moving away from Milner. Obviously, detail around that's uh, being discussed. But uh, it'll be a, it'll be a, it'll be a bit of a bittersweet day when you when you when you leave the club, obviously for looking for a brighter future. But um, it'll be very sad in the club rugby space if, if you do end up leaving Milner.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Obviously, as a as a boy that grew up there, playing as a ten year old and all that, I'll, I'll be sad to leave Milner as well fans that have been rocking up there a lot longer than me for 50 years, they'll be, they'll be extremely sad about it. But at the end of the day, it was a decision made by our board that, you know, it was for our long-term success. And yeah, you know, the way it looks, I, I tend to agree with it personally, you know, it, you know, Eastwood now is a different demographic. It's a, it's a different place. And although TG is a, is a tremendous oval and all that, there's, there's a lot of upkeep and everything that goes involved with that. So it's going to be a sad time, but you know, in 10 years or 15 years' time, as long as we do it right, people are going to go, oh, that was the right decision. It's going to be you know, better for Eastwood Rugby and better for probably rugby as a whole as well. we'll you know, we're looking to move a little bit further out west, give rugby a bit more of a foothold out there. So I think at the end of the day, everyone's going to win. It's sort of short-term pain for long-term gain.
0: Yeah, mate, it's, it's spot on. I mean, the changing demographics, um, you know, not only Eastwood, I mean, a lot of clubs are facing that and difficult decisions need to be made, you know, definitely a, a really bright future out there in the, in the Hills District. But um, just just looking back, you obviously also um, had plenty of experience playing uh, around the world. You've you played in New Zealand, Italy and, and the US. You must be uh, really look back at those times with, with great memories having been able to play at a global game.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's one of the benefits of rugby, mate. When you, certainly when you're talking to young kids and compare it to other sports, you, we've got to t- sort of talk up the benefits of rugby as well. I know we're sort of talking about the bad things sometimes, but, you know, it is mm-hmm. the, the world games. And I was lucky enough, like you said, I did a stint in the ITM Cup in New Zealand. It was probably one of my favourite experiences ever. And it was, you know, a really good group of guys. It was a young Zach Gilford and a young Israel Dag, a couple of superstars in the making. Yeah, great yeah, yeah. down and... It was just great to be in, in New Zealand during that. It was actually a World Cup year that I was there as well, and just to see how crazy that country is about rugby. They they lost that semi final um, to in was it two thousand seven? I think they lost to France. France yeah, and, mate. The next day was just a day of mourning. Like no one yeah. talked to me. Like oh, I was <laughs> laughing, and the, the whole team wouldn't talk to me. Like the whole country was just devastated. So it was yeah. cool to get a little snapshot of that, and just playing that tremendous competition over there, the ITM Cup. Um, did a stint in Italy as well that's you know I just sort of made it was I've just been cut by the Waratahs so I just wanted to go go see the world a little bit so it was good to get a little foothold there I was in a little town called Reco on the, what it, the uh, west coast of Italy and that was my tremendous experience um, rugby probably not as good it's a little bit of a 10 man game over there but sure. yeah, again really good people and you know as a young fella I get to use that as a launching base and you know on your time off I was you know you're visiting Greece or whatever on the weekend it's a little bit different to Sydney when you're you know, going down to the Manly course on the weekend is is a big change up for an Eastwood boy. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was good. And then my final experience over in the US that was that was probably that was definitely the finest one. That was um yeah, at on back yeah on back rugby in San Diego. Big yeah. shout out to Jason Woods who got me over there. They um mate, the appetite for rugby in America is amazing, and obviously mm. seeing that now with the the MLR competition and how how big that's sort of becoming. If if they yeah. If they get their structures and you know everything right over there, I I don't see them. They've got to become a powerhouse just with their population and their lack of options for NFL dropouts and college athletes and everything. They've got to become a. Um, and you're seeing it in the sevens, obviously. If if they dedicate some more time into their 15s, they'll be uh, they'll be tremendous. But the rugby following there, mate, they're just as passionate as any rugby following in, in um, anywhere else I've been. So um, really, really good experience. Really happy I got to do those things. And that mate, that was all due to rugby, and that's that's one of the benefits of it.
0: Yeah. And how did you find the transition from player to coach? Yeah, I was always interested in coaching and that kind of thing. And I really
1: liked when I was playing, even like sort of studying opposition and and traits in other, you know, other fullbacks and stuff like that. So I've always enjoyed the, the sort of mental side of the game, which is a lot of what the coaching is about. And mm-hmm. then I was sort of lucky in sort of my late years as a player. I was also helping uh, out up at Barker College with the the first 15 out there. And they had a couple of good young kids like Tyson Davis and Harry Jones from Moringa. So mm-hmm. sort of getting to taste the coaching there. And then um, I did it over in America sort of just through, you know, just because I had a little bit more knowledge than those guys and my experiences, I, I sort of took over coaching there. We won a title there, came back to Australia, Stu Woodhouse rang me up and said, would I like to help out? And I sort of hopped on there and, just sort of kept going since, mate. I I gotta admit, I, I absolutely love the coaching stuff. I, I you know, it's it's I tell people all the time it's definitely the closest thing to playing. And I wake up on Saturday and still got a I got a massive thrill like I was still playing. So mate, I really love all the aspects of it. I love trying to help the boys out and try to make them a you know better player and better individual as well. So it's uh I, I find the job probably, you know, more rewarding than I did as a player.
0: Yeah, mate, that's awesome. And if you look at, you know, your career in its entirety, you, you, you've you had, you obviously um, experienced at schoolboy level, you played uh, 190-odd first grade games for Ulster, which is amazing, won three premierships, you played super rugby, you, you played around the world. I mean, had you as a young bloke found yourself in a profession of rugby, obviously doing it for a profession rather than what you've had as essentially a, a really, really amazingly strong amateur career, you'd say, you, you probably wouldn't trade it for anything, would you?
1: No, mate, it's 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 been brilliant. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed every second of it, and like you said, everything's going to have ups and downs. But I've I've had certainly a lot more ups than I've had downs, sort of thing. So I'm I'm like I sort of said before, very very proud of sort of what I've achieved and what I've been able to accomplish as an individual and as a part of Eastwood Rugby, and now it's sort of onto the sort of next step and hopefully get a little bit more success as a um you know as a club and as the, as the coach of the club is um, really exciting, you know, prospect for me and something I really want to achieve.
0: Yeah, I know it's a great honour for you, and we we really wish you the best in 2020. Not too much luck, but, you know, all the absolute best. Mate, before you go, uh, the fast five. Right, favourite away ground in the shoot shield?
1: Not manly, mate, because your your facilities are terrible. Uh, (laughs) Really good ground, though. Actually, no, sorry, I've got to take that back, because I really actually like playing there. Your fans are really passionate and everything.
0: And you like um, just letting us choke. (laughs)
1: I <laughs> know, oh, it's a funny one that, isn't it? The success he sort of had at Manly Oval recently. That's just one of
0: those just odd things. I, I don't know what's going on Excuse there. the pun, but did you always feel like you had the wood on us? Oh,
1: I <laughs> Yeah, it started to almost, yeah, the first few years, no, but then after a while, it just kept happening. Oh, no. So it just Didn't it? became a thing. Okay, we're going down to Manly, boys. We'll, we'll knock this one off. But, you know, funnily it's enough, still happening. happening. Yeah, you <laughs> got a few games off to TG. So it was sort of yeah. a bit tit for tat. But if I, if I was going to say, uh, it's one of those sort of – I actually don't mind Rat Park. I know they're the enemy for you guys, but it's kind sort of close to – it's a good ground is in the sort of on top of you and everything, and they give you quite a bit. So I'll say Rat Park. Best player you've played with at Eastwood. Uh easy. Scott Farber, mate. He was uh when he was playing shoot shield, it was like uh men versus boys. He he was, I think I said it in the write-up recently, but he was he was best player on the field nearly every time I played with him. What are you watching on Netflix? Last Kingdom, that one with a uh, sort of Vikings and the English. Best memory at Eastwood. Uh, thus far. At Eastwood, probably the last. Uh Either my last game with uh, Huey Parrott in two thousand and fifteen, the semi final, or putting eighty on R- Randwick in a semi final in
0: two thousand and eleven. And who are Eastwood playing in this year's grand final? I want someone. I want someone different. So, oh, mm. uh,
1: but I don't like Gordon because they're our neighbours. I don't want Sydney Uni because they've been there. Rats have been there. North West. That'd be a good yeah, – that's, that's a bit of a rivalry there. Yeah, there is. Yeah, actually, that'd be a good game, I think. So, yeah, that, let's let's go with Wes. And, you know, they haven't been there for a while, so that'd make a good story. Uh, so, yeah, we'll go with Wes. Thanks, Ben. Really appreciate the chat. No problem. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, good luck for the season. I'll, I guess I'll be seeing you in a couple of weeks now as well.
0: Cheers, mate. Speak to you soon. Okay, right, thanks, mate.